All right, so we're in this freedom series. If you haven't been with us uh, for the first couple weeks of the summer, but we're talking distinctly, uniquely about Christian freedom. This has nothing to do with American freedom or whatever. Like, I know we're leading up to the 4th of July with this series, but like, get that out of your mind. If there's confusion, I'm clearing the air. There's like air at the top of these mountains that need to be cleared. I'm clearing it for you, okay? All right, it's clear. We're talking about Christian freedom. And last week, kind of the title of the message was freedom from the power of sin. And so we were looking at Romans 6, and, and in Romans 6, verse 14, we're actually told that sin will have no dominion over us, or no power over us, for we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. That's Paul's reason for why sin no longer has power over us. And we're actually going to talk tonight, still in Romans 6, about freedom that we have to obey. And when I say those two words in the same sentence, I kind of have a feeling that some of you, maybe all of you, are kind of like, wait, what? Freedom and obedience? Like those two words don't really go together, right? Like freedom and obedience aren't really words that you would find paired together. When you think about freedom, you don't, you don't normally think about like having to obey certain regulations or rules or whatever. Like I don't know if you know this, but the state of Iowa actually cares how fast you drive on roads. And so... Um, they, they limit my freedoms when it comes to how fast I get to drive on roads. And every now and then, things show up in the mail, and I have, like, these fines or whatever that I have to pay, and my wife is not happy with me because I just got another one lately. And they limit my freedom. Like, I'm not actually free to drive as fast as I want to on the road, right? Like, that's not actually that fun. They're limiting my freedom. There's no, there's no actual freedom for me to drive as fast as I want. I don't like it. We actually want some freedom in our life, don't we? Or we at least kind of like, like to break some of the rules. Like, I don't know, you're like me, I like to break some rules. I like to do some rouse things. Um, and this, this actually might be even like, perhaps why you haven't completely surrendered to God because you don't want to give up some of your freedoms. Like you don't, you don't want to surrender to follow Jesus because you actually want to be on the throne of your life. You want some control. You want to have your freedom. And for you, in thinking through that, actually, like, following God might actually just sound like a bunch of things to abstain from, things that God would rob you of your freedom. But tonight, we actually are talking about freedom that's found in obedience. And I kind of want you to, like, think for a minute of how that could even be possible. Get you on the edge of your seat and go, like, how, how can those two categories be put together? How can you find freedom in obedience to God? So open up your Bibles, Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 15. But I'm actually going to get a little bit of a running start. Read verse 14 that we were reading last week. Because Paul has just said this, and it's important. We've got to remember it. I already mentioned it. But he says, verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay? Like he's, he's just said... This really great news that sin, the power of sin has been broken and sin will no longer have power over us because we're not under the law of Moses. Like us who are in Christ, we're not under the law of Moses, but we're under grace. But what he's about to do next is, is actually ask a rhetorical question because he's anticipating some questions are going to arise from such news like that. So he says, verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Like, Paul, Paul is, 
thinking forward to what might actually go across somebody's mind when they hear that sin will no longer have dominion over them because they're not under the law, but they're under grace. If you've read Romans 6 before, this actually sounds a lot like the beginning of Romans 6, where Paul almost says the same exact thing, but what's different is actually now Paul is thinking about actually someone who maybe would pose the question like, not so much, can I just sin all the more to experience more grace, but Paul, can I just... Can I just not really worry too much about when I do sin and just presume on grace? Like, can I just be free to sin if it happens, if I give in to temptation, because there is grace? I'm just going to presume on grace. So he asks, rhetorically, are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And then his answer, the next part of verse 15, what is it? It's by no means. His answer is, Absolutely not, by no means. That is not how it's supposed to work. Grace isn't actually meant to ease up the calling to obedience for the people of God, but rather to be something that invites them in to freedom and relationship with God. Like you could put it this way, the availability of grace doesn't actually mean license to sin freely. You get that? The availability of grace doesn't mean license to sin freely or to not really take sin seriously. Stay with me. We're going to read verse 16, okay? Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? So Paul, he's just brought in this idea of slavery to kind of help us understand what's going on. And what I want to clear up first is honestly just like what Paul is talking about. When he says, you're a slave, you're a slave, he actually doesn't have in mind probably the slavery that you have in mind that like you would be thinking about with kind of our country's history, that type of slavery, but actually the Roman Empire's system of slavery, which was far different. Okay, so in, actually before the first century in the Roman Empire, roughly like 85 to 90% of their citizens at one point in their life actually sold themselves into slavery. Like people willingly decided to enter into slavery to avoid debt because that actually was a, a better lifestyle choice. They, they wanted to enter into that for reasons, willingly, to have a master, to actually be in this kind of job, if you will, to be somebody who is a bond servant. And this was far different. Again, like slaves in this type of kind of way of doing it was, was you could have, you could gain wealth, you could get out of it when you wanted to. For the most part, like your masters would treat you with, with justice and fairness. Far different. The Bible is not actually like affirming the type of slavery that we should look at and condemn. But Paul, Paul actually had in mind a reason to use this as kind of an illustration, an example to give the Roman Christians. That they were slaves, and they're only slaves of either one of two masters. And the same is true for you and me. We are slaves of one of two masters in the world. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. They're two masters. Satan and Christ. If we follow Paul's reasoning here, this means that we repeatedly obey either the master that has death waiting for it, or we obey 
a master who actually has our, our best interest in mind, one who wants to give us eternal life with him. Jesus actually said, you can't serve more than one master. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Let me just tell you also, if you haven't read like Romans 5 or Ephesians 2, those chapters of the Bible tell you that you were born actually a slave to your sin. Like you came out that way. Your, your nature at birth was one of a slave to sin. Not the good master in the world, but the evil one. In Romans 3, we're told that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is under bondage to sin. This is what Martin Luther says in his work, The Bondage of the Will. Not only are all men guilty without exception, and they're declared guilty in God's sight, they are slaves to the sin that makes them guilty. So you're constantly enslaved to your sin. Like, how do you get, how do you get delivered from that kind of slavery where you cannot choose anything but to sin and separate yourself from God? Like, you have freedom in one sense, but freedom only to choose sin. Like, because think about it. Before you came to Christ, if you followed Jesus, you actually wanted the things you wanted, right? You wanted to pursue a lifestyle of sin. You wanted to live the way that you were living. No one was forcing you to do it. But the only choices you made were choices that didn't go in line with God's character. How do you get set free from that kind of bondage to sin? Have you ever heard the line, even falling feels like flying for a moment? Even falling feels like flying for a moment? Like, like falling is flying. It's just not a good kind of flying, right? It doesn't end well. Like, you don't end up in a good spot. You end up with your face smack on the ground. The master you are born to obey doesn't actually care about you. He wants you. He wants you to obey, but he doesn't care about you. But again, how do, how do you go from being a slave to sin to a slave to what is pleasing to God, a slave to righteousness? Let's look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So you, it turns out, aren't due thanks for kind of coming to this aha moment of, I'm going to change masters. No, you actually are supposed to thank God for being delivered from one master to the other. Like, this is all because of God that you were actually, like, brought out of slavery to sin. In your worst state, farthest from God, God intervened. Thanks be to God is what Paul says. Not thanks be to you because you figured it out or thanks be to the preacher because he preached a good message or nothing like that, but thanks be to God. You might have a translation that actually says that you were, instead of saying like you become obedient to the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, it might say you were, um, it might say you were handed over to the standard of teaching. Like this this word actually we find in the Gospels as well where in, in Jesus' life he's handed over to those who would crucify him. It's the same word. Like think about that for a minute. You had to be handed over to the other master. 
Like you were so enslaved to your sin that someone had to hand you over to the good master to obey. And now you don't just obey begrudgingly. You actually want to obey because the, the terms, the things that you've come to obey from the heart the standard of teaching to which you were committed is the gospel. You've come to love the gospel and you want to obey because of what Jesus has done. Because God was willing to surrender his freedom in one sense, to come and be handed over to men who would hang him on a cross. Like he was willing to let that happen for you. That news has shaped you in such a way that your heart wants to obey. That's the standard of teaching to which you were delivered to, handed over to. And look at verse 18, right? There's no such thing as someone who, like, has a different master, who's, who's set free from the power of sin, but, but not actually a slave to righteousness, a slave to what is right. You can't, like, accept Jesus as Savior, but not have him as Lord, right? He's, he's both. He has to be both. If you miss that, you miss Jesus completely. Like, you haven't understood Jesus if Jesus is just your get-out-of-hell-free card, if you just kind of want some of Jesus but not all of him? No, if you've actually understood Jesus for who he is, you say, Jesus, you are better than everything that my flesh wants, that I used to live in, that this world has to offer me. Jesus can't be just Savior. He has to be Lord. Look at verse 19 with me. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So Paul's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta kind of apologize almost for using this example of slavery. I'm gonna speak in human terms, he says. Like, I'm gonna actually acknowledge the fact that bringing in this example doesn't actually give weight to this mystery that I'm trying to explain. This, this amazing reality that you Christians, you were brought out of slavery into slavery to God. Like you were brought from one master to the other. He's, he's realizing that, look, even, even this example of slavery, it probably actually comes with some baggage. And he's saying, there is no way to actually put this amazing mystery of the gospel in a way that is fully understandable. The gospel is a mystery. But look, okay? This is who we were. Slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. Like, I'm, guys, I'm speaking to you as someone who, like, for sure, all the way, was a slave to those things, a slave to impurity, a slave to lawlessness. In high school, I actually like lost my virginity to a girl that had already broken up with me. And like, I actually kind of thought like, doing that would actually hopefully like lead to us getting back together. Like, she just kind of honestly wanted to be like friends with benefits, whatever, not a great term. But that's actually like the, the thing that I was after. So like just, kind of idolatrous of having a relationship that I was willing to go like way farther than I should have in a way that actually hurt me more than probably hurt her because what I wanted was actually more than sex. I wanted to be known. I wanted to have a relationship that was like committed and she wanted none of that. 
And so me pursuing that through just actually like this physical, in, physical intimacy and having no other form of commitment, intimacy, whatever, like it actually robbed me of joy. Like I'm telling you straight up, I have been a slave of impurity and it didn't actually satisfy me. Like actually, not only did I just kind of find myself wanting, but I found myself realizing like I'm longing for a deeper connection, deeper relationship than just what sex can offer me. And what I was doing is like pushing away people who I knew could actually tell me why sex is something that God had created and designed and has said in his word is to be enjoyed. Like it's a good gift to be enjoyed in the proper kind of relationship, the proper relationship of marriage, the covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. I knew people that kind of like believed that stuff. I didn't really know why, but I didn't really want them to know what I was chasing, right? I was pushing away the people God had put in my life to kind of like show me how to live in a way pleasing to God and actually like flourish and be known and have community that cared about me. Like the lifestyle I was pursuing didn't actually lead to freedom. It just led to despair and kind of feeling really broken and not known. I don't want us to miss this though, you guys. What Paul is saying is not just stop sinning. Like he's actually calling us to something even better and he's calling us to do something with the same intensity that we used to run after sin. Because he says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, leading to lawlessness and more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to sanctification, leading to, or leading, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So he's calling us to actually pursue pleasing God with the same intensity, with the same passion that we once had for pursuing the passions of our flesh, what we wanted, like the things that we thought would fulfill us. Do you have that same intensity, the same like burning desire to know God and to please God that you once had for chasing your sin? Like Paul is calling us to present our members, our bodies, our lives as slaves to God. When Paul says sanctification, he's kind of, maybe your translation says holiness. He's getting at this reality of like looking more like God, being set apart, looking more like Jesus. Paul is calling us to pursue this lifestyle with the same, if not more, passion and intensity. So let me ask you, has the intensity that you once had for sinful passions been redirected towards knowing God and pleasing God? Maybe, maybe tonight you actually need to repent of just letting grace become license to sin and not take sin very seriously. Not letting grace be motivation to obey. I, I'm imagining some of you in this room are actually like starting your freshman year of college, right? In a few months, you're moving into the dorms and this is an opportunity where you actually have like way more freedom. Like you, you no longer have your parents kind of getting to say what you can do and what you can't do, like how, how long somebody of the opposite sex can hang out in your room, at what time they have to leave, if they have to leave at all, you have a lot less freedom coming your way in a few months. 
And so what are you going to do with the freedom? Because there is a sense in which, yeah, you do have freedom to choose. Are you going to please God with it? Are you actually going to do what leads to flourishing? Because his word and his good design for your life actually brings with it far more joy than you think you could find on your own. Like when I started freshman year, I had that freedom. I'm not going to lie. It was nice. I didn't have to do stuff for my parents, whatever. Like, and I also had the freedom of showing up at college and kind of like getting to start a fresh life. Like no one actually knew who I was. No one knew my insecurities in my past. I had the opportunity to kind of like be a new person almost, right? And instead of actually seeking out people that would point me to Jesus, instead of like being so passionate about pleasing God instead it was actually just another year that came and went of me chasing another girl thinking that the way to kind of get a relationship that would be meaningful would be through like going way too far way too early freedom is kind of like this thing that we we get wrong like there's there is freedom in showing up at college not having parents to say what to do but there's also a sense in which that falling feels like flying thing reigns true for freedom in college. We might actually think that we're free and things are going well until we smack hit the floor. I want you to actually experience the joy of obeying and being free in God. Because think about this for a minute. God is actually the only being in the universe that has complete freedom. Like, I want us to think about who God is for a minute before we realize what freedom truly is and how to get it. God is the only being in the universe that has complete freedom, complete self-determination. He's always been, he's always existed, he always will. He is infinite in power and glory. He speaks things to it, into existence. He's your loving creator who knows what's best for you. He wants you. He wants you to flourish and in obedience to him, not because that's the way to salvation or the way for him to love you, but in obedience to him, he wants you to experience joy and freedom. You could say true freedom is found in obedience to God. True freedom is found in obedience to God. Like, get this for a minute, guys. We're not, we're not just freed from our sins to obey but in freedom in obedience we find freedom let me say that again we're not just freed from our sins to obey God but in obeying we find true freedom like there's there's actually this reality that when we let the loving creator determine what we do with our lives with our bodies with our money with our time we realize that's where true freedom is because he knows us. He's created us. Like, does obeying God come with constraints? Yeah, it does. It comes with constraints. Like, God gets to say what you do with your body. God gets to say what you do with your time. God gets to say who you date. How you treat others that have a different political stance than you. But freedom... Freedom actually exists when there are constraints in place that we actually want to obey. Like, think about this for a minute. Creation kind of 
shows us this reality. Think about a fish. Say you have a fish in a fish bowl in your house. Anybody have a fish in a fish bowl in their house? Nobody? Okay, whatever. I used to have fish. They would die, flush them down the toilet. But, like, say you have a fish in your living room in a bowl. The fish is hanging out all day. You're not there. And the fish actually just thinks, like, getting out of this darn bowl, this small little bowl that I just keep turning around and around in, I'm going to be more free being outside of the bowl, right? I'm going to be more free outside the bowl. It's fair. So the fish cruises down, bottom of the bowl, gets some momentum, jumps out onto the counter. How's that go? Not that well, right? The fish quickly realizes that outside of the constraints that you, the loving creator of the fish, the loving sustainer, keeper of the fish, you didn't create the fish. It's heresy. Um, think about that. But don't think about that. Um, but so the fish is outside of the bowl, right? The fish is outside of the bowl. How long does it live? Probably a minute. It realizes that freedom was actually like inside of certain constraints that were for my good. That's you when it comes to God. Like, what else does God have to do to prove that he loves us, that he's for your flourishing, than send his own son to die for you? Like, first you need to be freed from the power of sin. Some of you need to do that tonight. You need to accept Jesus. You need to come to Jesus and believe in him, believe in his work on the cross. Maybe you're that person that's been reluctant to surrender your freedoms. I'm telling you, God's constraints are better than the freedom that you think you have. They are real freedom. All you're free to do is free to be a slave to sin, and sin leads to death. Tonight, come to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Place your faith in him. What I want to do with the rest of our time is actually motivate your obedience. I want to motivate your obedience for the sake of your joy, Obedience that's fueled by grace, that's just as passionate and committed and determined as you were when you followed after the evil master, when you were enslaved to sin. Number one, you need gospel-loving friends who help you fight sin. You need gospel-loving friends who help you fight sin. Some of them need to be friends that are further along in their walk with Jesus. Friends who will ask you, like, how you're really doing. Friends who are going to ask you, like, what is something you're struggling with? What is something that I can pray for you in? Friends who will speak the gospel over you. Friends that actually care more about your godliness and the rhythms you have in your life than just kind of having a good time. Number two, you need to take sin seriously. You need to take sin seriously. Taking sin seriously looks like dragging your sin into the light. Like, guys, you don't have to read much further than Romans. You just got to go one more chapter to realize even the Apostle Paul himself still struggled with sin. That's why God forgives us when we confess our sins. He is faithful and just forgive us when we confess our sins. We all still struggle with sin, but we're called 
under grace to confess our sin, to bring it into the light, to go to war with our sin. Some of you know I have a kid. His poop smells a lot worse um, now than it did before because he's older and bigger and whatever. I don't know how it works. He drinks different stuff. He eats different stuff. But sin's kind of like poopy diapers because it smells really bad, and you need to get it the heck out of the house. Like, you need to get it out into the light. You need to get your sin out into the light. Just like what I do with Archie's diapers is when he poops, I change him fast. He tries to run away now. But I change him, throw the diaper in a, in a like, grocery bag, and chuck it out of the house. Because the longer it's in there, the longer it starts to smell. And the longer your sin stays in the dark, the longer, the more time you give it to just kind of manifest in different ways for it to gain more power over you. What if you're struggling with sin, same sin, over and over again, repeated sin? You still need to confess your sin. You still need to bring it into the light. Like, actually go to that faithful friend or get that faithful friend who will speak the gospel over and over again to you. I I was actually thinking about the fact that, yeah, some of you in this room, honestly, are probably feeling discouraged that you are struggling with this repeated sin over and over and over again. And I was, I was just praying for you, and what I wanted to tell you is just that. Jesus knew what he was purchasing when he died for you on the cross. Like, he's not, he's not surprised that you are still struggling with this very same thing. He's patient. I, I'm hoping and praying that you actually experience his patience with you tonight, and that patience leads you into actually having more power over your sin, to start to gain victory over your sin. But don't stop bringing your sin into the light. Number three, you need scripture hidden in your mind. You need scripture memorized to have a fighting chance against your sin. Memorize Romans chapter 6. Over the next couple of weeks, memorize Romans chapter 6. This is actually like an application point that I've actually like been telling myself like this is something I used to do this is something I used to be more passionate about that I need actually like called into doing more for the sake of my godliness for the sake of being able to go to war against my sin I need to memorize more scriptures so that I can actually preach it to myself what did Jesus do when he was being tempted he had scripture ready to unload So memorize Romans chapter 6. I want to close with just actually kind of inviting you guys to close your eyes for a minute. And to think about what being completely free in Jesus would look like for you. For you to be free to be free in a way that like you fully embrace who God created you to be. Free in such a way that you enjoy him more than you enjoy anything else or anyone else. Freedom that leads to you finding your worth in him. Like think about how free you would be, how selfless, how overflowing with love and grace you would be. 
how unashamed of the gospel you would be? How at peace you would be? How even in dark times you would look to him and see the fact that he's for you? That you belong to the God who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for you? And that frees you in such a way to live, to magnify Jesus. Jesus, you are good. You have delivered us from the slavery to our sin that we once had. I pray, God, tonight for your power to to do that in more people in this room, in their lives, to show them that you are the God that is for them, that has purchased them, that wants them to experience freedom that leads to to life, not death, but life. Thank you that you, you are gracious that you forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west help us to to respond now to you for what you've done for us to to go to war against our sin preaching the gospel to ourselves the gospel as motivation for our obedience pray that we would repent of treating your grace like it's cheap. Jesus, we look to the cross and remember that you suffered for us, that your grace cost you. We love you. Pray in your name.